0: Boys, boys.
1: Welcome everyone in Sea Cadet Land to the Crow's Nest. Uh, this is Dr. Sean Johnson from National Headquarters. I want to thank everyone out there for joining us. Uh, that was Anchors Away. I think a pretty notable uh, theme song for the Navy. And it's interesting. I pulled that audio from a YouTube video from the 1940s. I think that's when that rendition was was done. And um, you know, black and white World War II footage. Uh, you see all the sailors swabbing the deck and painting the anchor chain and tying ropes to bollards and and doing all that kind of seamanship stuff. And I think uh, there'd be a striking contrast between what the Navy looked like then and what it looks like now, and and rightly so, because I think think we're getting the message here and the idea that uh, these kinds of organizations, especially service organizations, need to start uh, representing sort of the, the demographics of our society. And I think that's, that's a great segue into, uh, you know, we always bring interesting people here um, at the Crow's Nest, atop the Crow's Nest. I'm still not getting the right uh, the verb for that. Anyway, um, we have Fleet Master Chief April Beldo with us uh, for an interview today, uh, the People's Master Chief. And so if I look at um, an article here from Navy History Heritage Command, uh, right at the top is this really interesting uh, image. It's very compelling, powerful image of Master Chief Beldo that I first came across through um, you know, some social media feeds where I follow uh, Navy-affiliated organizations to sort of get some ideas for some of our curricular and training offerings. And I saw this picture, and she's, she's holding a, a folded American flag. And uh, it's a really powerful image, and I said, you know what, I, I bet you she's got a really interesting story. Let's figure out a way to talk to her. And so super nice person, spent over a half an hour of her time talking to us about leadership and her story and background and how she got into this. And, you know, it looks like she's, you know, just from this article alone, she's giving a lot back to the Navy, really focused on developing personnel. Um, and the interesting thing at the end of this article, and I'll post all of this stuff in the show notes, um, every morning Beldo does a mirror check and asks herself, do I have integrity, credibility, and humility? Check, check, check. It's a simple but important reminder of the skill sets needed to be a successful leader. That is definitely true. Uh, She talks about that in our interview. So I am going to throw it that way for you all right now. Really powerful uh, image. And that was the first thing that sort of caught my eye. Um, And I think it came across my LinkedIn feed. Because mm-hmm. uh, I do follow a lot of uh, you know Navy commands and different things, just to sort of keep up on the conversation. And I know Paul Kingsbury put us in touch, so I am just you know I would love to talk about that picture at first. I mean, what what a powerful image! So you're holding the flag that was flown in honor of your father, correct?
2: Well, no, okay, no, no, no. So, but I would share it with you. The story behind the flag is, um, and again. The, it's how things just happen. So yeah. uh, I was stationed up in, um, this was my last tour as a fleet master chief there in D.C. area, Northern Virginia. And what I did a lot of, of course, was talk to our um, newly selected chief petty officers. So they had invited me, that's the USS Abraham Lincoln, that's where that flag was from, okay. flown. And um, they had invited me to come speak to them during our chief season one year. And I said, okay, no problem. You know, I'm a carrier sailor, so I love going on the ship or the carrier. So um, after I talked to them, they did want to present me with something. So they called me up to the um, flight deck and they presented me with that flag Mm -hmm. that was flown um, over the USS Abraham Lincoln. Now, the reason why that is so significant, and they knew this too, was I did my first deployment as a Chief, well, a couple of things happened. I was selected for Chief in 1995. Okay. That was the first year on the West Coast that females were authorized to, um, to deploy aboard combatant ships. Mm. So our, our air wing, we're in San Diego, so our air wing um, flew aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln. And that's where I made Chief Petty Officer my first deployment. And on that deployment, when they used to really, you know, um, go all out for Tiger Cruises, where you could invite your family members or kids aboard coming to, you know, the last couple of days of um, deployment, okay. my father, I invited my father.
1: Oh, okay.
2: So that's why, you know, I present and I presented that flag to him at my retirement. So that's where it sort of gets, you know, um, you know, they did that ceremony, like, I want to say in 15 or 16, I didn't retire until 17, but the significance of it was that's where I made chief. I was speaking to them. That's where my father, you know, he came aboard right after I made chief on our tiger cruise.
0: Gotcha. And
2: Abraham Lincoln was the first carrier that I was allowed to basically deploy upon as a female on the West coast.
1: Interesting. Huh. Okay. So
2: that's how that all ties together. But I mean, you know, in any time you're, for me, you know, being as, um, um, patriotic and as I would say sailorized as I am, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, the passion that I have for the Navy and being a sailor for them to present, so, you know, for them to present me that flag, I wasn't thinking, you know, I wasn't expecting it. So of course that's probably what you see in my face was, oh, wow. And and the significance of this is where I made Chief petty Officer. I'm talking to these, you know, you know, new chiefs that you know are coming into the mess you know 17 years later after i made it it was all sort of um symbolic that's how that sort of you know gets my face in that really wow mode
1: i had that all that uh behind the scenes planning involved too they really thought through that you know they did. And yeah. like I said, I had no idea. So that's they, uh, so they
2: got, they, they got great kudos from the fleet master chief that night. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and it was sunset and it was sunset. We did it right at the end of the day. Magic it hour. Was wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yep, exactly. Oh. And it was colored. It was really colored, you know. So that's, of course, the, the, the professionalism and the, the military protocol of, you know, holding colors on board a carrier. I was part of that um ceremony.
1: Wow. So a lot of a lot of factors came together perfectly on that one. Wow. Yes, yes. Well, you know, uh, I'm interested sort of so what what is your story? I mean, so you're retired now, right?
2: I am. Okay. I've been retired since 2017. March of 2017 wow.
1: after 34 years. 34 years. And so you know, I mean, how did you How did you get into the Navy? What was, you know, what was your thinking about that? I mean, sort of what's your background getting into it and, and sort of, you know, how did your career go from there?
2: Well, you know, and I, I believe that, um, some of the sea cadets can, can relate to what I'm about to share with you, Sean, but it wasn't planned. I'll tell you that it wasn't planned. I was, a I um, I had graduated from high school in 1982, um, living in Lancaster, California. Um, I enrolled in a community college, Amount Valley college, right, you know, two or three miles from the house, you know. Um, and as we all know, college attendance and high school attendance are two totally different things. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't really being held accountable for not going to my classes. So that's why I say I was enrolled.
0: Mm, yes. But in at name some only.
2: point, <laughs> in name, exactly. You know, you know, and I was thinking, wow, April, this is, this obviously isn't what you really want to do right now. And it was right now. You know, you just got out of high school. You, you directly enrolled into college. And for some young men and women, that worked. But for April, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. So in my mind, I thought, you know, I just need something, a little bit of a, a break from school, first of all. So I'm not even going. I need a break from Lancaster, California. I come from a, a military family. My dad served in the Air Force for twenty three years.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: And I thought, What about I how about I join the Air Force? And that's exactly what I said. I said, I'm gonna go up here and see if I can get in the Air Force to the recruiting station, which was again right across town. Mm-hmm. And I remember it vividly, Sean. You know, I walked in there and I went to the Air Force recruiter and you know, just as today, you know, some things don't change fast enough. Mm. But just like today, there was a quota of of how many females that in in service could enlist, you know, that could enlist in a year.
1: Really? You mean they? Yes. they, they there was like a, a ceiling.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: They um, they just couldn't take any more. It's like we'll take five.
2: Well, uh, well, a little bit more than that, right? But a but, year. It, 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 but exactly. So huh. they had reached their the Air Force had reached their quota, and I'll give a little bit of background about that in a little bit, but. But I went to the Air Force and recruiter and that's what he told me. I'm sorry. You know, we, we filled our quota for the year huh. for females in the Air Force. So I was walking, leaving out. Um, and the Navy recruiter, I'll never forget him. He's a PS. They had PS back then, PS one. He, um, got my attention and he says, what do you think about joining the Navy?
0: Well, there so you I go. walked
2: into his yeah I walked into his office and we talked a little bit and my thing was I had made a decision remember that I needed to get out of town and I needed to do something different than what I was doing and I wanted to do it now yeah you know it's one of those things I want to do it now I I, I got to go now don't put me on the delayed entry program I want to leave, leave as soon as possible and um, as soon as possible it was two weeks later oh. two weeks later. Jeez. I hadn't even talked to my parents about this. I was 18, though. You know, I was 18. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, but I hadn't even I hadn't even shared with them that I shared with them I wanted to go in the air force, but I didn't share with them that I'm leaving in two weeks and it's going into the navy. Um, and they, you know, my mom and my brother, they didn't believe me when I come home. I'm going to the navy. Yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, you know, a teenager, 18 years old, talking. Right. But yes, that's and that's how it happened, Sean. It was huh. the navy gave me. An opportunity that I needed at the right time, right. on the right day, in the right, you know, you know hour.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I, uh, yeah, and I left exactly, it was probably more like 10 days later.
0: Mm.
2: But it was like, they wanted me to leave like tomorrow. I was like, okay, I want to leave, but I don't leave yet. Let me tell my parents first. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait a minute. But um, yeah, I was on a bus to um, LAX, NEP station in LAX within 10 days. Wow. And that was my story. it was just, I just needed a little bit of structure for me more structure and a little bit more discipline so I could focus on um, going to school. So I was going to, I joined for four years. That was my goal. I just need four years to get it together, Mm -hmm. save a little bit of money. And um, I'll come back here. I'll go somewhere and I'll go to college. Right. Well, that's how that story started. It didn't end that way because it was 34 years later before I decided to call it quits.
1: Oh man. And so, you know, that's, that's not the first, Time I've heard that it's the sport have been, you know, by accident, serendipity, you know. I mean, just and and then they just sort of, you know, folks just find themselves and and stay yeah. for the long haul. I mean, so what, so you had this four year plan. So what kept you going? You know, what kept you well?
2: In I think what you know, um, my <laughs> so funny. I, I so I go off to boot camp and the the ironic thing is as soon as I got to boot camp and a couple of, you know, 4 a.m. mornings and hollering and screaming, I was like, what in the world (laughs) was I thinking? I just want to get back to Lancaster, California. Right.
1: And just enroll uh, in my classes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But um, there's no turning back because there's that contract thing, right? Oops. Um, Yeah. So um, that was the first, I believe, the the turning point in um, my adulthood where I owned it. Because I remember leaving uh, and talk, telling my dad what I was doing, and he says, "Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability, uh-huh. and, and, and be responsible and be respectful." And, and I owned it. I owned it. So those those long, you know, twenty hour days, and, and it's a little bit different in nineteen eighty, you know, three than it is now. I'm um, still long days for young men and women in their boot camps, but mm-hmm. it was just different in nineteen eighty three. So, uh, and oh. Oh, by the way, we are in Orlando, Florida in the summertime. I left in May. So, oh. uh, yes, it was hot, hot, hot oh. and uh, humid, humid, humid. Yep. But the bottom line was you did this. Nobody made you. You know, you made this decision. So you need to own it. And um, got through boot camp, um, again, saying all I want to do is just go back to, you know, California. And even when I went to, I did an apprenticeship type of um Enlistment, where I didn't have a specific school to go to, so I okay. went in at what they call a designated airman. Okay, I was in the aviation field, and um, I went straight from boot camp. You know, that was about nine, ten weeks, and then straight to um, my apprenticeship training, which is a school, a school for you know aviation. Yeah. So they gave you overall, um, overall um, view of um, what aviation. Um, communities like and um still even in that that four-week school i'm like okay just give me back california san diego san diego san diego because right. that's the closest you know i was thinking to myself the closest duty stations i could get to first duty station republic of the philippines <laughs> overseas oh my god and i was thinking <laughs> what in the world but again the um, opportunities I had, the experiences I had, the mm-hmm. you know just being in another country that was not well developed. When you talk about the Philippines, right. I mean the bases have what you need, but when you walk outside the gate, that's a that's a third world country. It is, you know, yeah. for a 19 year old, you know, it was just eye opening. And um, but you, I started meeting people from different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Different sailors from all across, you know, the world, because that was a really large port visit back in the day <laughs> um, off different ships. And I just started my, my, I guess my lens got larger and larger. You right. know what I'm saying? And I, I got to see a lot and I got to hear a lot and I got to travel. I got to go to Korea. I got to go to Japan. Mm. Some of my shipmates right there in my squadron got to go to the Philippines and just, you know, I was in a, um, Squadron, my first squadron, talking about way back in the day, a four, right? A <laughs> four, and just you know, being around that environment, the, the the fast moving, you know, and then you were really becoming independent. You know, yeah. I was taking care of myself. I was responsible. I, you know, you're making a paycheck every two weeks, and it was a jump change, you know, for eighteen, nineteen year old. Yeah, right. Yeah, so um, so that I think that's the Sort of the first eighteen months because it was a short tour. I was over there for eighteen months, and then they sent me to San Diego. Okay. So now you know. Now I'm in San Diego again. I'm still away from home. I'm back in California, but I'm away from home. I, you know, your my first apartment. You know, and really being independent and still looking around your little apartment with your roommate going. I think I like this. I yeah, think I like this
1: lifestyle. This is I think mine. I like that's this. mine. That's mine.
2: Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so I think that was the turning point, Sean, was I can do this. So when four years came up and you're, you're ready to go somewhere else, and I was like, you know, I called my detailer, and that's who assigns us where they need a Z. I I was an a AV, Z, Aviation Maintenance Administration man. And I they, he said, well, where would you like to go? And I said, where do you need for me to go? Because I'm, you know, well, I'm 22, 23. I'm single. You know, life's good. I'm about to go to Brunswick, Maine. <laughs> oh. Now, here's, yes. how, here's how much I listened in school. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go to Brunswick, Maine. And as soon as I hung up, I had to go look at the map
1: again. Yeah. Is that in where Canada?
2: Brunswick, <laughs> Maine? <laughs>
1: where is Brunswick, Maine? Did I sign up for but, the Canadian Navy? Is that yeah,
2: Exactly. <laughs> We're right there on the border, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think that's what happened. It was just the independence. It was, you know, to your point, owning it was really yours. This was your, you had to work hard for it, but it was yours. Therefore, you took care of it and therefore you liked that feeling. So you wanted more of it. So that's what started me on my, my, I'm going to do this again. So that was the first time, you know, because you have to reenlist for these orders, of course. You know, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that was my first time on reenlisting for four more years and then eight years turns into. You know, 12 years and 12 mm. years turns into, you know, after 12 years, it's like, really, you know, you're, you're making a little bit more money. You have a little bit more responsibility. You're in leadership positions and life is good yeah. and life is good. And, and again, you're able to travel. It's really funny. Um, um, even in Brunswick, Maine, I was in a P3 squadron, you know, and that's where we fly over to where we're going to work for six months. So I still went on deployments, but you know, Sicily, We were in Sicily, um, N.A.S. Sicily, you know, um, Sigonella, We went to Spain. We went to Iceland. And I tease young sailors today, and I say one thing I learned about the Navy, that they will give you an all-expense paid vacation Mm. to all these wonderful countries. (laughs) They'll make sure you're fed three times a day. They will clothe you, medical and dental. How could you not be a part of an organization like that? (laughs) And they laugh at me because, I mean, like I said, even on that nineteen, you know, fast forward to nineteen ninety five, going on my first deployment, a West Pac, Western Pacific, right? Mm-hmm. Um, waters, Hong Kong, Singapore, Hong Kong. I got to go to China. You know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, who? How could you not enjoy this? So I just, I kept on getting sucked in, John. It was like this is, you know. This is the life for April. You know, and I realized I would not tell anybody they have to stay for thirty plus years. That right. worked for me, but I surely believe that if um, you're thinking about going in the military, that 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 you should really give it a give it a try because four years goes by very fast. It goes yeah. by very very fast, and at four years you're what, 22, 23. You still have an opportunity to to continue on if that's what you choose or to get out you hopefully save some money i didn't that's probably why i realized it because i like to spend my money <laughs> and so i learned that mm-hmm. it was supposed to be saved oh, you know but um darn it but see yeah. like i i know right but but the experience that i got in those the first four years was just amazing and then you you know you you double that and then you double that and before you know it it's like wow you're at 20 years and You have a pension and you can start your second career because 38 is not old. If you come in at 18, right,
1: I was 38, you know, so So it was was good stuff. So you do. So you renew every four years. Is that the, is that how it goes or?
2: Not everybody. It depends. It depends. Some people only re-enlist for two years. So at the two year mark, then they'll make a decision on whether they're going to go for two more, three more or four more. But the least is two. Okay. The least is two, but it's two, three, four, five. Some go for six, you know, in, more, in our more technical rates. Okay. Sometimes that's six years, and, and they do it, and um, yeah.
1: Because I'm thinking at, you know, 22 to 26, that's, you know, four years is a long time, but uh, for me, you know, being in my 40s, four years was yesterday. So, yeah, it's it's yes. like amazing how time changes like that. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Well, it's really funny because, you know, in the day when you told somebody you were 40, something, they're like, oh my God, you're old.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. now it's
2: like 40 nothing.
1: No, definitely not. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and you start, you know, becoming much more aware of, you know, sort of the long span of time and, and I mean how, you know, there's still opportunities out there. So, you know, what's interesting, um, you know, one of the things that, and I don't have a military background. So one of the things that I've always try to understand in terms of leadership is this idea of enlistment versus officer. And so mm-hmm. you know, you've obviously, you know, gone to a great heights at, you know, in enlisted leadership. So what, what is that key difference? I mean, what is the difference there between sort of enlisted leadership and officer leadership? Because I think, you know, there's officer, I guess to some has this sort of glitz and glamor to it or something like that. So I, I mean, is there? What are the key differences there uh, in terms of those leadership pathways?
2: Um. Well, I I think um, well, <laughs> it depends how you look at it, Sean. But Uh-oh. so here's what I'll share for you. So so one of the things we talked about was I wasn't going to college. You know, yeah. I say, I just decided not to. So for most of our straight from high school, college, to the military, that's the path of an officer. They, most of them usually in the beginning, they all of them, I should say, have some type of um, college degree.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're coming, okay.
2: that's, and they're coming into officer ranks. I Whereas an individual like myself who's like, you know what, I, I'm going to just go join the military without the college degree background, I, I would have to take the enlisted route.
1: Okay, gotcha.
2: Okay, so that's how that starts. Uh, but there's programs for enlisted um, men and women to um, transition into the um, officer wardroom, uh, into the wardroom based on our tech- technical ability. Okay. You know, because even I, 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 tried to do an officer program. It didn't work for me. You know, but I've known some outstanding E5, E4s. You know, um, some chief petty officers. Because so there's different you know, programs where they transitioned because they, to them, for that, for them and their families, that was the best decision mm-hmm. to, you know, to transition for officers. Now, as far as the leadership piece is um, really funny because, um, at, you know, if you, you can picture this, as you have a young, for instance, enlisted sailor um, been in maybe three or four years already, E3, 45, you know, that that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a, a junior officer that comes aboard the ship that, you know, just completed their technical, you know, training, okay. whether that be a pilot or whether that be, you know, administrator, whatever their field is. And who do you think is going to help them be successful?
1: Ah.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. The person
2: with the experience. Yes. And, and there's, but there's still, there is still a level of respect. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter how experienced I am. I um, I understand the difference in rank, enlisted officer.
0: Right. So I
2: will definitely, as an enlisted individual, you know, I have been taught the structure um, is set up where there's there is this automatic respect that goes to um, an officer based on their rank, their mm-hmm. rank. Okay, uh, but they are looking you know junior officers are looking to you know the the most qualified individual on the deck you know and i'm using a ship for instance Mm -hmm. to assist them in gaining the knowledge that they need so that they can be a successful officer right and sometimes you know you think about a a small ship and i'll use for instance a destroyer Mm -hmm. you know which i had an opportunity to be a command master on a destroyer and and our SEO was in 05, our EXO was in 04, um, and those young officers were instant, 01, you know, finishing up their school, their basic, you know, training, um, surface training, I'm using that sh- uh, surface ship, and they came across the quarter deck. You had E3 boatsman's mates, you know, two years in, that were driving the ship. You know, of course, with the, you know, leadership of more senior officers, but who do you think started helping that instance understand what it meant to drive that ship? Right. You know. You know. So so that leadership it can come in all different you know at all different levels in all different ways. But but that's the difference when you talk about the structure. That's the difference is between a um the the, the what did I say the um the degree. The college. And and so that's that's sort of like the 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 coming into the officer slash enlisted.
1: Well, that officer stuff sounds too fancy for me. So that's (laughs) that's too fancy. (laughs)
2: Well, we need them too. We need them too. (laughs) I always tease, though, is, you know, even my I've worked with some wonderful, wonderful leaders, CEOs, XOs, and, you know, department heads, division officers. But I always used to tease everybody. And I say, now, remember. You know, even today, you know, and it's based on structure and the number of individuals in the military. So I said, remember when I, so I'll say when I left in 2017, I used to tell them, you have to remember, oh, I'm sorry, my ears just fell out.
1: Oh, that's okay. Can you still hear me? Yes. Gotcha.
2: Okay. I would tell them, I said, you have to remember there's approximately 55,000 officers mm. in the United States Navy.
0: Mm.
2: There's 270 enlisted personnel. Let's make sure we take care of those that are working hard on the deck plate. You know, and I yeah. tease them about that. You know where I'm going with that. But of course I mean it's a structure. But um and then, you know, like I said, I I I believe best based on my opportunities and the the positions and the rank that I held gave me an opportunity to um you know to be more effective as an enlisted fleet master chief, you know what I mean yeah, so it worked for me, it worked for me, and and that's not just there's anything negative or wrong with somebody who chooses the other route you know it's it's just whatever that individual is.
1: well, you know working in, working in schools, you know, I always knew that the uh the front office administrative staff they ran the school, and i mean if you <laughs> if you couldn't get anything done. If you didn't rely on you know the folks, you know the frontline people, the custodians and others that people often forget about, Mm -hmm. but I mean they, I mean they are running the place. I'm telling you, Um, if it wasn't
2: for them, we wouldn't be able to meet all these milestones.
1: Oh, you know, I taught taught kindergarten for four years, and so I mean, if I didn't have a good relation with the custodian, man, I'm telling you. Uh, (laughs) But uh, you know, real, you know, and I guess sort of, I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but sort of the last part, you know, and looking at your your record here, and, and I'm going to be a little selfish for a second. You know, I'm really interested, I, me, am interested in this, you know, so you're Force Master Chief for Naval Education and Training Command. And so, okay. you know, having an education background, I'm really interested in knowing what that command is all about and, you know, what what kinds of things that they do. Because as, you know, part of the, the Sea Cadet program, uh, you know, we're always looking for ways to support, you know, uh, getting young people interested in all the opportunities that you have been discussing here, that you have, if you do choose to join the military, and encouraging trainings that we develop that fill some of the gaps and the needs that the, the Navy might actually have. And so I'm really interested to know, you know, what what the, the tasks are in Naval Education and Training Command. Okay. I'm really interested in that. that-
2: so one of the um, it's almost like a pipeline that every single officer and enlisted will go through. But when we talk about naval education and training, we're exactly um, we're talking exactly that. A young, you know, um, sailor. And when I say sailor, I mean E1 through O10. Mm-hmm. Um, has to have has to there has to be a continuum of of training, right? Mm-hmm. And there has to be a uh, baseline. And then as they, you know, like with any, like with any job, you right. know, if you want to be promoted, there's there's a level of expertise and um, education that you need in order to get promoted. You know, the more senior you are, the more knowledge you have. And one of the things that Navy Education and Training Command responsible for was making sure that that pipeline from E-1 all the way up to O-10, you know, at a specific times was set by all of our sailors. You know, and and one of the things that Netsy—that's what we called it—Netsy was responsible oh, okay. for was maintaining that, watching that. We had um, uh, educators on the staff. I'm putting educators in a quotation marks sure. in the air, you know. But that—that that was their responsibility. Um, understanding what it took for, and I use my own rate. An AZ, I'm an AZ, and and as a, when an AZ first comes into the navy, they need to be able to do this, 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 and this. They need to be able to, I don't know, look at a technical manual or find a technical manual to make sure that they know how to administratively do this or how to look for parts, you know, the little things that you need to do to compare it to, if you, you know, if you can um, picture this, just like the school system, you know, the board of education, somebody sat down and said, okay, in first grade, all first graders before they go to second grade need to be able to do this and so on and so forth, all you know, seniors before they graduate need to be able to do this. So if we compare that to the Navy, you know, in order to raise, re it to the rank of E3 and you start at E1 or E2 or E3, you have to know how to do this, this, and this, okay. you know, you have to be a damage control person. If you're going to be on a ship, there's certain wickets or there's certain milestones that a sailor based on their um, job has to know. Okay. knowledge-wise. And then there's the basic military knowledge that every sailor is responsible for based on their rank. Um, and like I said, for enlisted, that's E-139, and then the officers have their own pipeline. Okay. You know, before you can become a division officer, you have to have done this, this, and this. And NEXI, where I worked, we were the command that was responsible for that, making um, um, Ensuring, first of all, um, developing that training for that particular rate. Every single job in the Navy. Yeah. That's what we're responsible for. And, of course, you know, through years of experience, you had individuals on the staff that had worked in those particular positions that helped um, make that model. But that's what we're responsible for is before you can move to greater responsibility or before you can be promoted to another position, your technical knowledge has to be at this level. And they, and that's what we did. We set the standard. And then, um, your military knowledge has to be at this level. Uh So that, and and every single job in the Navy has a school that they have to attend or some type of training that they have to go through in order to, um, be in that particular job. So that's what we're responsible for. We're almost like the board of education for the Navy.
1: There you go. You're establishing the grade yep. levels. Yeah. This is know yes, known yes, exactly. kindergarten and twelfth grade. You know, we were just having this conversation today um, in terms of making career and technical education connections. So, um, what what do you think the the Navy's educational needs are going to be moving forward? What kind of priorities do you think they're they're going to have in the coming years?
2: Um. Oh. Well, uh, I, 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 now, I believe a lot. Oh, here's what I'll say. I believe a lot is said about um, on the job training, vocational uh-huh. training. Yeah. And I, but however, you have to balance that with book and mortar training also. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 um, I don't, as we get more technical, we have those rates that are technical rates, you know, but it's just like in, 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 in corporate or in the workforce, you, you know, you have some positions jobs that you can go to vocational school. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's some jobs that you have to go in the classroom and you have to, you know, and I'm just using this as a very vivid, you know, um, comparison
0: yeah but
2: i mean a doctor you know you know i'm trying to say a doctor or nurse you know there's something that you have to sit down in the classroom and learn the right. the, the, the 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 smallest details because you know the the technical um expertise that goes into mastering that job takes the classroom you yes. know what i'm saying you're gonna Education. have to dissect
1: those bodies you just yes, have to do yes, it yes
2: yes yes you can't you know and then you have to understand what muscle, muscle is you can't like Right. You know, be an engineer and say, oops, that was, I, I forgot to put the screw back in there. Let me go back and get it. You yeah, I haven't built a box.
1: real bridge. I just sort of, <laughs> you, know.
2: you know. So I, I, but I think you're, ver- I think are both, there's something to be said about both of those because mm-hmm. we don't want to discount the fact that I get it. You don't have a bachelor's degree, yeah, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be an outstanding fill in the blank. Right. And then right. there's, like, when you talk about, and I'll just throw this out there because everybody understands this, when you talk about nuclear reactors, there's something to be said about sitting in a classroom and understanding the, the you know, all the different chemistry that go along that would, you know, cause a problem. Right. And, and, you know, we need to know that, too, and also make sure that the ship gets underway when it's supposed to get underway. That, I mean, you got to sit at a desk and really think through that, you know. And everybody can't be a new, you know, engineer. And there's some people that can't even, I don't want to say can't even, and there's some people that can't be aviation administration. You know what I'm saying? Just because the brain just doesn't click. Right. But I didn't get my degree until 20. I I think I got my associate's like in 20, you know, in 2002. But I didn't, I, I, even though I came in and said I was going to go back to school, came in in 83, I didn't start going back to school. It really gets, you know. I took a class here, a class there, but I didn't really get serious about it until two thousand two and then my you know, I got my bachelor's in two thousand and five. I even got my masters in twenty seventeen. Oh. You know, that was the last, you know, four years of my career that I did that but because that's your I was line, more you know? Yeah, and that was you know, I, I chose to I chose to focus on O J T stuff, vice education in the classroom stuff, yeah. and that doesn't mean you know and I use myself as an example to say it doesn't mean that I couldn't leave because obviously it worked out for me I'm not saying it does for everybody and, yeah. and but it did so there you know I, and I share that with you Sean because sometimes we do get wrapped around the degree to degree to degree and right. sometimes it's just time right now some people need I I need it 20 something years to get my <laughs> I just need it but I was doing other things that allowed me to learn a lot of life lessons that in turn allowed me to be a more effective leader. In turn, I understand how to communicate with individuals. What motivates you? I mean, I didn't go to school to get that, you know, and I know there's there's degrees for that, organizational leadership and all that stuff, but I learned it from life experience. Right. You know, working with 5,000 families at one time and making sure that, you can't treat them all the same way because they're all, they're all wired differently. And how right. do you, how do you do that though? So that you're not spending three hours
1: on each individual. Right. Exactly. You have to do that in sort of bulk, you know, yeah, yeah. you've got to really think of those big ways. And I mean, you know, that's so, it's so great to hear because we always get caught up in everyone else's timeline and it's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. no one says it has to really happen. You know, maybe 50, 100 years ago, maybe. Nowadays, yeah. it's like, oh, you have to, you know, once you graduate high school, you have to go to college four years, then you get a job, then you do this, then you do that. And by the time, you know, you've, you've hit all those milestones before you're 30, and it's like, well, now what?
2: Yeah. I can be yeah. living until well, I'm 80 years old. <laughs> right. saying, you don't have experience. Right. I'm just saying, you don't have experience. Well, because I was going to school to make sure that I have the degree. For like, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, uh, difficult balancing act, but to your point, to not discount anybody's Timelines to cause them to feel some kind of way about themselves so that they don't, you know, step out, you know, on an opportunity that might, you know, get them out of the door with a lot more experience than somebody who's sitting in the classroom, for lack right. of a better word. No, I, absolutely. And I, well, both of those things are great. I did want to share one last thing with you, yes. and I, I, I just because we are having this conversation, did you see when you were, I don't know if you know this, but I had an opportunity to work at a high school for one year, I did in LTC. Okay, yeah. For one year at um, Seneca Valley High School in Germantown, Maryland. Okay. And uh, again, just to talk about when you we're, we're talking about everybody was at a different level. You know, I we and of course you have ninth graders through twelfth graders, right? Right. And I tell you, I mean, even with all that thirty-four years of experience, that one year was just. Another I guess um experience that opened up a lot of uh, uh, opened up my eyes even wider based yeah. on the young men and women that are going through school today, the challenge that they the, the challenges that come along with being a high school student. Yeah. In today's day and age, I it want was that just anymore. like wow. Yeah. It was like wow. And the the ones that were in in Gerald C. you know, for different reasons, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, yeah. I I didn't care. I just went now when you're in the Carl's oh, I need you to do what I need for you to do because it's part of the curriculum. As you talked about your talk about developing curriculum, and and the <laughs> the challenge for me was, I was used to very structured, <laughs> right. you know, individuals working around me and everybody doing what they're told, and yeah. That was like, wow. So I, you know, when you talk about being an educate, educator, John, I, I, my hat's off. My hat's off because that's some hard work. That is some hard work, especially when the challenge is that sometimes you're the only responsible adult role model that the young people see. And it's not their fault. And I'm not saying that to be negative. Right, it's, no. just, it's reality. It's no, it reality explains day, a lot. Day, day, and age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's like, wow, we. You know, and they look up to. It. They, and and some of them that want to do something different and want to do, be better and want to get out of whatever the situation there is, they they really hang on to every word that their um, teachers, you know, are 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 sharing with them because they really believe in their education. So this this is my stepping stone out of yeah. out of whatever,
1: Absolutely. you know. So. Well, so bless
2: all of our hearts.
1: Well, for me it was always, you know, the they're the ones that, you know, go out of their way to please you. And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. The the ones that were real challenged, that that was the kind of stuff that I enjoyed. I mean the the ones mm-hmm. that really pushed your buttons. You know, you get over that initial like, Man, this kid is driving me mm-hmm. crazy. But then mm-hmm. you know, you get beyond mm-hmm. that. You're like, No, I really want to figure this out. I want to know who you are, I wanna know what makes you tick, and I wanna see if we can really drive it drive some change here and make a difference. And those are the kind of problems that you know uh, that I think were exciting for for me to solve. So,
2: absolutely, absolutely, because into your that's what it was. It was this is challenge. This mm-hmm. is not just somebody you know who I can just know they be in class and not gonna. There's something going on. Why they can't perform the way they need to, and how do I help them get past that? So, absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you. And once I you do, you. it's,
1: uh, you know, it's like a huge moment. And once you make that breakthrough, boy, you know, that's where you sort of show up every, that's what you show up for. I mean, that's really what keeps you going.
2: Yep. The once that get it yep. when they, when they even thought they
1: weren't going to get it. Exactly. Well, you know what, this has been a great chat. You know, I really, really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing your wisdom, um, you know, always think of sea cadets and, and, you know, definitely stay in touch with us and, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll find ways to leverage your wisdom again once more in the future. So I really appreciate the time, uh, that you spent today.
2: Absolutely. And I am a, definitely, I am a Sea Cadet, um, fan. We're, we're, um, here in the area that I'm in, I'm a part of a group and we're going to sponsor one of the, you know, schools that have a Sea Cadet program. I don't think they call it Sea Cadet, but they're, they're trying to mimic it. you know, um, Imitate, I should say. Okay. Imitate it. Um, but a, another military um, veteran that wants to do something for young men and women who want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, whatever that might be. So right. absolutely. You have my information now.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank
2: you. You have no worries. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.
1: Uh, I want to thank Master Chief Beldo once again for um, taking the time uh, to speak with me, to speak with all of you, and again, I'm always just, not that I'm surprised or shocked, but I'm always just relieved, or, you know, when you see titles like Fleet Master Chief or otherwise, I don't know what my expectations are, but folks are so darn nice and so willing to share their experiences, um, I think it's great. And so we are very fortunate to have people that are so willing to talk to us, to share their experiences um, in a really accessible way. So with that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us here. I'm going to leave you with a little bit more of Anchors Away, and uh, thanks for being at the Crow's Nest.